This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I never liked sleeping by myself when I was a kid. I always insisted of like staying with my brother or my mom. And my brother hates sleeping with me because he told me I kick too much and like I take up the whole bed. And like, Every time I swear in the kitchen at nighttime, it was kind of like the water's running and like someone was washing dishes. And then I used to tell everyone like, I think this house is like something wrong with it. And everyone thought I was like so crazy. And they're like, no, you're just, you're imagining it because I used to like watching scary movies at nighttime. But I swear the house was haunted. And nobody lived there since us. So. Nobody's lived there since? Nope. So, Did you ever see a ghost? Um, no. But I always heard stuff. So I was like, um, that's not normal. It's making Yeah. Exactly. Previously, in Greater Boston... Now, Mr. Stomatis, you will be my spy. Your first assignment will bring you back to Wonderland. A woman there interests me. I knew you'd oppose. I came here today as a courtesy. I'm running against you for mayor of Redline. Where is the mayor of the Redline? I'm sorry, I have a city to run. Whose city? Redline. Arlington. And Cambridge. from Dorchester. Right. Jamaica Plain. Uh, Rivia. Hanson. Wellesley. Redline. Uh, I'm from Somerville. Tuxbury. Roslindale. Andover. Framingham. This is. This is. This is. This is. Greater Boston. This week in Greater Boston, episode 15, an incomplete tour of New England spite homes. There's only one, 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 Wonderland! Wonderland is back and better than ever with rides and attractions that will push your nerves right out of your body. That's right, we have the Cyclone, the Water Wedgie, the Insurance Policy, Vertigo, Frenzy, and Topaz. But now, Wonderland packs even more wonder into your land. We got robots! Our very own Wonderbot Parade, twice daily at noon and midnight. Grab a milkshake and a burger from our incredible waiterbot service at our 50s retro diner, Wonder Me, where every waiter and waitress doubles as your own private jukebox. You want more wonder? Of course you do! We've got cheese! Watch fresh bars of cheese naturally processed from cattle's robotic hands to your hungry mouths in our new Wonder Bar Cheese Factory. Still dying for more? We've got tragic history. Have you ever wondered what it was like to live through the San Francisco fire? Of course you have. And now you can literally walk through the horrendous inferno at your own pace, risk-free. Watch lifelike human robot substitutes burn alive in a startling recreation based on the original Wonderland display. 
but updated with 100% more lifelike flame. And 100% more robots! You may have been to Wonderland, but you've never seen it like this. Remember, there's only one, 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 Wonderland! Wonderland stop on the blue line. Cloud City Entertainment is not responsible for any first, second, third, or fourth degree burns. As she sat down to talk with her lawyer, Emily Bespin calculated her financial losses. She'd prepared the perfect cost-benefit analysis before her and Ethan's investment, knowing full well they would initially lose money after buying and dramatically revamping Wonderland. But the profit margin was projected to increase steadily over time, so long as people came, enjoyed, spread good word of mouth, so long as people returned for more. Four million... 300,672. Woof, are we talking total losses? 4,600,793, actually. I'm going to kill Ethan. I heard nothing. Homicidal premeditation is a legal gray area with regards to client-lawyer confidentiality. Come back after, though. How much in A-plus defense? Once Ethan sensed Emily's displeasure with their bloating Wonderland budget, he kept some of their financial decisions private. Hence... The discrepancy. She didn't know what to say to Ethan anymore. He spent most of his days hustling through Wonderland, endlessly tweaking his faulty robotics program. As if there was some way to make it all work, some code to program a shred of hope out of their financial losses or Wonderland's horrible reputation. I haven't talked to him in over a week. It was a week ago. Okay, if you're thinking divorce, that I can help you with. Get you the house, the money, the theme park, the robots, even his diploma if you want it. They'd been eating breakfast in the fake San Francisco apartment they'd been forced to move into after realizing they were too broke to afford their back bay condo. They'd literally moved into a burning facsimile of a conflagration, a revised attraction from the original Wonderland that Ethan had tirelessly researched and updated to tell the real story of the great San Francisco fire using pyrotechnics and robotics to allow audiences to witness the disaster at their leisure. Emily had spun her wedding band around her finger with her thumb, scanning the dated turn-of-the-century faux fixtures and appliances surrounded by imposing plastic unlit flames, dully waiting for ignition. It was an expensive mistake. Ethan had made the slightest tilt of his head, but his eyes stayed fixed on his MacBook, pecking at the keyboard like a chicken. Emily wished the fire was real in that instant. Real and spreading and scorching every inch of Wonderland until there was nothing left but ashes. She'd turn every attraction attraction on and let it all go, forcing the robots into the coasters, watching everything burn into indistinguishable ruin, the coaster cars crashing to the earth like meteors hurled from vengeful gods, hell-bent on cursing Wonderland with a plague full of fireballs. Okay, now arson defense is a whole other thing. Arson's hard to prove, but you don't want to screw around with insurance companies. After their redline wedding, things had gone well. The bill had been simply extraordinary. Pages long, an appendix, a glossary, looking more like a Senate investigation report. Emily considered having it published. She'd bragged about it at lunches for a week in the guise of exasperation. Of course her father had promised to pick up the tab, and he'd dutifully done so, albeit with minor grumbling. A week later, their wedding was paid in full. But her father issued an ultimatum. No more financial support would be forthcoming. Emily and Ethan 
were on their own. But I told him, I'm too old for this grow up and get a job talk, Dad. Her father persisted. It wasn't that Emily's father didn't want to support her anymore. It was that he couldn't. The wedding had drained most of his resources. And that was that. So, uh, I should probably mention, uh, I, I don't work pro bono. Emily was unconcerned. She had a dozen interviews lined up, and Ethan had a lucrative offer from Vecna that he was bound to accept. Until suddenly he wasn't bound to anything, save his own impulses. The idea of working at Vecna filled him with a terrifying boredom. The prospect of designing machines that swept carpets or provided life support in hospitals. Where was the pizzazz? He was confident that with Emily's business background and his gift with robotics, they could take the bones of Wonderland and fill it with profit-lining splendor. She graduated from business school top of her class. She was trained to recognize a bad deal, an arrangement fraught with danger and financial instability, an investment sinkhole. Yet she'd gone along with Ethan because... Because why? Why had she done it? I mean, people came at first. They were curious. I know how to build some buzz. But then the robots started breaking. During the middle of the parades, their feet would freeze and they would stand there ominously, as if primed to attack. The audiences held their breath, expecting something remarkable. And they waited and waited and waited until they realized that nothing was coming. Just empty robot stares, a broken bot parade. Then they started throwing food, booing, impulsive, disgusting simpletons. When some of the robots were nailed with hot sausages and fried sugar cakes, they snapped back to life, briefly, but then crashed into each other, rerouting and marching with precision to the point where it looked like they were inflicting... Well, it looked like they were fighting. And they kept colliding until they accidentally tore off their synthetic skins. Are you here for a class action lawsuit defense? It's fine if you are, but there's no money in it, so be prepared for a hefty retainer. Word of mouth turned noxious, and the reviews were worse. The only thing close to a bright spot was the Globe admitting Wonderland had the best fake San Francisco fire in all of Massachusetts. Emily implored Ethan to give up before it was too late. But he wouldn't listen to he her. He questioned my loyalty. He accused me of not believing in his dream. She'd raise complaints and he would zone into his work, sometimes offering inefficient rebuttals. How was I supposed to know the android muscle matrix would wear down so quickly? How was I supposed to know the pneumatic core would degrade so easily? How was I supposed to know people would find burning synthetic robot flesh so creepy? How was I supposed to know people didn't find the art of cheese processing as enthralling as I do? He was stubborn to the point of fanaticism. Sometimes I pinch his skin in the middle of the night when he's sleeping, just, just to see... Just to see if there's more to his love of robots than his unhealthy admiration. Are uh, we back around to divorce? Because I'm getting a real divorcey vibe here. So she decided to beg her father for a loan. Beg for help selling Wonderland. It would be embarrassing and humiliating. And futile. But what else could she do? Her father lived in Belmont. She opened Uber on her phone, but the surge pricing made her want to vomit. She'd have to take the tea. Blue line, to the green line, to red line, to the... Heavens help her. The bus. 
She hadn't been on the train since her wedding, and when she boarded Redline, she was annoyed with how clean and orderly it all seemed. How people were now using it for purposes other than transit. That had been her idea. Who did these people think they were? And then I saw myself with Ethan. Another facsimile. Smiling so clearly, I thought I was seeing my reflection at first. In a red line window, darkened by the underground. But, but no, the angle was all wrong. And she certainly wasn't smiling. It, it, it was an advertisement. An advertisement for red line weddings. Featuring her and Ethan. Emily's fist curled into the vinyl handrail. How dare they? How dare they use my likeness, my face, for this crass commercial venture? But that wasn't really what made her furious. It was her face, how happy it looked, how full of optimism and confidence. She wanted to spit into it, reach through it, reach through time, and... And... It was an expensive mistake, using our likeness like that. That's when I decided to come and pay you a call. I never gave those mole rats permission to use my likeness, my photographs, my wedding to sell more of the same on Redline. So it's time for a lawsuit. Oh. Well, that's one direction you can go, I guess. Emily Catherine Vilmont Bespin would make Redline rue the day it used her happy, smiling, stupid face to advertise merry matrimony. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What's the weirdest home or apartment that you've lived in in the greater Boston area, and what was weird about it? I mean, uh, I lived in Dorchester. I guess it wasn't weird, but it was kind of like, I was kind of like scared because I got robbed, so that was kind of like scary. And I came home from school, and then like the apartment was like a mess, basically. Well, the one, yeah, there was one we lived in in Jamaica Plain, and our landlord was this old, old Greek guy, and he used to live there himself. It was a three-family house, so years before we lived there, he used to live there, and apparently there were all these Greeks that lived in a couple of the houses around him in his house, and they used to play cards. They'd have big card games there. It was in Quincy. I lived with my father at the time, and um, he had an apartment, but it was like for one person but I was little so I slept in the big bed and he used to play Scream and Chucky and all that when I was like four years old. It has a lot of empty spaces you hear noises because it's kind of like those ancient well not ancient but I consider it ancient but it's kind of really old it echoes and they have the weird random doors that leads to nowhere. So anyway he moved out to the suburbs kept the house and we rented an apartment from him in that and he just treated it like it was his own, his own house, so he would still just show up whenever. You'd come home, and he'd be in there, like, fiddling with the sink, or doing something in the yard, or doing some landscaping, or just literally in your apartment when you get there. So, when he would be playing the TV, I'd be in the room, and the shadow from the TV would be showing on the wall, and I'd freak out as a four-year-old, because I'm like, someone's going to come kill me. That's it. <laughs> like, 
So I would hide under the table and fall asleep there at night. Yeah, they took, uh, it was like during almost Christmas time, so they took uh, most of the presents. Aww. They all wrapped it and everything. That's horrible. Yeah. Like you have a closet within a closet that makes no sense, but it's kind yeah, of. <laughs> but it's kind of creepy at night because, like, so one time I'm like digging in my room and it was, I didn't even know there was a door there and I open it, it's like another closet. I'm like, wow. I've only lived in two apartments in Boston and nothing was weird about either of them. Um, one thing I don't like now is how all these new apartments are rising up and they're, the rent. It's something that middle class people in Boston cannot afford for no reason whatsoever. And they know exactly what they're doing by putting up these apartments that we can afford. Good morning, Redline citizens. Thank you for hearing me out today. Now I imagine you may be looking at me asking yourself some questions. Who is this woman? Why'd she pick Salmon Station, our new prison, the location to make her big announcement? Why is she inside some kind of wooden box? Looks like an upright coffin. I mean, my goodness. Is this woman a vampire? Does a vampire want to be our mayor? Redline is mostly underground. Maybe this woman being a vampire makes a little bit of sense. Let me start with this box. You all heard of Henry Box Brown. His first home was slavery. He was born a slave in the state of Virginia, 1816. But his most famous home was a box, no bigger than the one I'm standing in. See, Henry Box Brown got his nickname for shipping himself to freedom, courtesy of the Adams Express Company. Took 27 hours from Richmond to Philadelphia by wagon, rail, and steamship. After released, Brown sang a Bible song, serenading his new home, Freedom. <laughs> now that's a nice story. But while Henry Brown stopped being a slave, he struggled to find real freedom here. The evil of slavery in this country extends beyond geography. The Underground Railroad ran right up to Canada. Slavery in the United States, it's, it's, well, it's, well, it's a disease, a gruesome disease our nation contracted at birth. Oh, we've given it a few strong shots in the arm, some damn powerful vaccines. But this disease keeps right on mutating, coming on back in all sorts of odious ways, stubborn as a mean old billy goat. When my family moved from Georgia to Boston in 1968, I was barely alive. Hair older than an infant. My folks sold most of our things and crammed what was left into our car. Made it 15 miles before it broke down. <laughs> Busted suspension from all the added weight. We became a family of boxcar bandits for a while. Guess you could say that was the first time I lived on a train. My mother made it real homey, too. Cradled me in a dresser drawer, stuffed with blankets along the inside. We opened our doors to all sorts of strangers, too. Uh, suppose it isn't right to say we opened our doors. It wasn't our doors to begin with. 
belong to the locomotive company. But imagine some train hopping old coop jumping smack dab into this cute little slice of domestic southern hospitality. Poor sons of guns had cups of iced tea in their hands before they could ask what the hell was going on. My folks love strangers, love talking to people, helping them out. And when I bought my rail home on Red Line, I was proud to keep that tradition alive. We eventually settled with my uncle in Roxbury. My father drove a bus for the MBTA, used to run the 43, took him through all of Boston. He memorized every nook and cranny driving that route. And that's when he noticed the house he'd been saving to buy his whole life. Tucked into a cute little corner of where Back Bay meets the South End. Small, but real homey and affordable. When my father went to apply for a loan, he was denied. Oh, he had the down payment. All the qualifications, good credit, filled out the forms, paid a lawyer to look them over. Those loan officers laughed in his face. Why don't you try a nice little place in Dorchester, they told him. Lots of your folks are settling down in Manapan. Tried selling him homes in those areas with interest rates so high, High enough you could fall off of them, break your neck. But my father refused to be intimidated. Rather than real estate, he looked for land. Not much of it available, even back then Boston was beyond developed. But not much land anyone was willing to sell to my father. But he found a small spot in Southland, snatched it up. Set out to build our home with his own two hands. That's the home I grew up in. That's the home I recently sold. I'm in the real estate business, by the way. I know that business better than anyone. That home I grew up in is 400 square feet. 10 feet long and just over 40 feet wide. Barely any bigger than Henry Brown's box. They call it a a spite house. Can you believe that? Wasn't a scrap of spite in our home. Only spite came from the neighbors who didn't want us there or the people who refused my father the property he had every right to buy. When my mother cooked, we all sweat like hogs. When my father snored, we could barely sleep. And stories about the bathroom are just left unsaid. Let me tell you about when I had my first sleepover. Me and my best friend Vivian. We were about seven years old. It gets late. We were settling down in her room, size of my entire house. Young girls that we were, we gabbed through the night until we were good and winded, you know. Time goes by, she falls asleep. I'm tossing and turning and rolling all over. Know what it was keeping me up? I didn't have any feet in my face. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know how that sounds. But think about how you all sleep. We all got our particular ways of putting ourselves down. Whether it be on your side, back, extra pillars, blankets, no blankets. And my particular style of sleeping was to have feet in my face. My brother's feet in particular. We shared a tight corner of our home and, as you can imagine, wasn't space enough to stretch out all comfy like. So, when I fell asleep more often than not, I had his toes under my nose. So there's my friend Vivian laying there. I curled up nice and tight with those touches of hers and slept the sleep of the just. Had to explain myself the next morning, but thankfully Vivian was an understanding friend. Despite the redlining we faced, our home brought us closer together. Literally, of course, but I mean beyond that. Just like you all. They pushed you into those neighborhoods expecting to ruin you. And instead, you've grown stronger and closer together. Now, we can decide to have Redline live up to its name. Or we can decide to have Redline live up to what it is. An underground railroad. One that'll finally cure us of this damn dreaded disease. <laughs> Mad Lindsay Coolidge doesn't agree. No, when I told her my ideas, she called me impractical. Meanwhile, redline stations north of JFK have private schools and public parks, while here in Salmon, we got a jail. Henry Box Brown first got his nickname in Boston from no other than Frederick Douglass. It was at an abolitionist convention in 1849. In 1850, the Fugitive Slave Law passed. That meant anyone once enslaved were now fugitives and should legally be sent back to their so-called property owners. Henry Box Brown moved to England. To Henry, our little American experiment was impractical. Laws change. Boxes used for emancipation can just as easily mutate into Charlotte prison cells. Our city offers hope of a kind we haven't seen in decades. But you need the right leader to bring its full potential to absolute fruition. Who better than a woman who lived on a train since she was in diapers? Who's comfortable living in tight, confined spaces? Who sees this dreadful disease for what it is? Now I'm going to be real with you. This is going to be a fight. You know that damn disease has infected people so badly they don't even know they got it. But if you follow me, I will fight that fight until my last breath leaves my lungs. Follow me and we will make Redline fair. We will make Redline thrive. We will make Redline a good home for everyone. My name is Isabel Powell and I want to be your mayor of Redline. You're wearing a baby. Yes, this is Monty. 
Is your name Rusty? What kind of a name is Monty? It's short for Montgomery. What kind of name is Rusty? The name is Russell, but I hate it. Nickname's been Rusty since high school. People tell me they think it fits my general disposition. Can't imagine why. Can I ask you a couple questions? Don't like solicitors. I don't want my name on any lists. It's not like that. I work with the RLPD, overseeing some specific cases. I've talked to a few people, and I heard you may have seen someone who's gone missing. Here's this picture. Any information you have would be greatly appreciated. Looking for this fella? Yeah. Could I come in for a sec? I need to give this bundle his bottle. Yeah, okay. Come on in. This... is all yours? Pretty sweet digs, huh? Wasn't sure what to think of this referendum, to be honest with you, but I ended up voting yes. Can't say I regret it. The mayor of the Red Line certainly takes care of us. Are you flippin' serious? He abandoned you. Hmm? No, I mean the lady mayor. She makes a hell of a lot of sense. Pretty demanding. This place ticks like a clock, but she also butters the bread, you know what I mean? Got old Big Red here all to myself. Let me park it over the Charles. The view is amazing. I, who says flippin'? What? You asked if I was flippin' serious. Who says that? I'm trying not to swear, for obvious reasons. So why not just skip the word and ask, are you serious? I don't know. There's there's a part of me that insists I do things a certain way and speak with a certain number of gosh darn syllables in the most profane way possible. And when I don't say them, I don't feel like my flippin' self. So I make up these Nancy garbage filler words to compensate, but I can't effin' stand it because I sound like a friggin' fifth grader testing my mom's patience during Sunday Mass. Why not just swear? Duh. Hello, baby. You don't want the baby to swear. But you swear. When he's not around. It's just a part of who you are. Don't you think he's going to swear too? Maybe one day. But really... If he doesn't, is he going to walk around saying flippin' and gosh darn all the time? I certainly hope not. So why not cut to the chase? Look, Dr. Spock, I really don't need your parenting advice at the moment, okay? What does Star Trek have to do with this? (sighs) Are you capable of speaking without asking a question? Huh? Guess that's a no. I appreciate that you're urging me to raise a foul-mouthed baby Huey and all, but this decision isn't just mine alone. If he was just my kid, I'd be teaching him how to flip people off before he knew how to suck his thumb. But my wife is a part of this too, and I have to consider what... Well, what she wants. And she certainly doesn't want him to go saying fuck you with every goo-goo-god-gush-shit! And now the dam's broken, and there's no way to stop the fucking flood. Feels good, though, don't it? Yeah. Like the smell of cigarettes, long after you quit. You never really quit, you know. I gave up smoking in my 20s. Every once in a while, I still go out and sneak a pack. Smoke them off nice and slow. Know the part I like the best? It's late, in bed, falling asleep. I realize I got that nicotine smell on my fingers. It's just something about it. Might be repulsive to some, but it brings me back to who I was when I was younger. Reminds me who I really am, where I came from. Brings me home. You're an extremely open and philosophical MBTA operator. Has anyone ever told you that? Got a lot of time to think, driving these trains. Could do it in my sleep. Not that I'd try. Don't be telling your wife on me now. You know... Yeah, I knew the whole time. Just why you're looking for who you're looking for. 
heard you spotted him downtown the day of the referendum. Yep. Near government center. He was walking towards the waterfront, if that helps you. I thought if I found him, I could... I could get him to come back. I thought it would make things better, but it won't. I keep thinking about when Charlotte and I met. We used to go out drinking with friends and then play drunk wiffle ball at two in the morning, sleep in the outfield. We were just so young and stupid and happy, and even though I hated my job, it's never going to be like that again, is it? No matter what, those days are over. Every day you change, it's like you die a little bit. You mourn that person, you mourn the you who's gone, but you don't die. You move on, you move into someone new, keeping parts of who you were. You still smoke, you still swear, you try not to. You keep trying till you become someone different. And you'll be mourning that person one day soon, too. So make the flippin' most of it. Thanks. I realize I've been a tremendous ass... butthole. You already said ass. Like, why go and... Attention, citizens of Redline. Congratulations. You have all just won the lottery. What the hell is that? Remember... In these trying times, it's really important to stick together as a community. Look, outside, down the tracks. What is that? I got a radio Chi-Chi and Warner. She's driving today. Ah! Hang on, Monty! You two okay? What the hell was it? What's with that smell? It's a huge container of molasses. We didn't have time to stop before the collision. The whole train stuck like a pogo stick in quicksand. We need to get to Charlotte. We need to go home. We ain't going nowhere for quite some time. They'll send a rescue car, but from what I'm hearing, it's going to back up and serve us something fierce. We've got to get people out of here. There could be something else coming. I don't like the idea of sticking around. Can I make an announcement? Be my guest. Attention Redline residents and commuters. This is Gemma Linzer Coolidge. I can't tell you exactly what happened, but whatever it is, I'm not going to stand for it. If you want to get off this train, if you want to get to the surface as soon as possible, meet me in the head car. We'll traverse the train together, and I'll lead you to the next stop on foot. If you'd rather stay here, well, I think you're nuts, but suit yourself. Coming? Someone's got to meet the rescue car. Thanks. Good luck out there. This seemed like a much better idea before my toes were stuck together, Monty. Greater Boston is written and produced by Alexander Danner and Jeff Van Driesen with recording and technical assistance from Mark Harmon. You can help new listeners discover Greater Boston by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. In order of appearance, this episode featured Alexander Danner as the narrator, Sam Musher as Emily Bespin, Braden Lamb as Leon Stamatis, Jessica Washington as Isabel Powell, Lydia Anderson as Gemma Linzer Coolidge, and Jim Johansson as Rusty the MBTA Driver. Also featuring Mike Linton as the Wonderland ad, Jeff Van Driesen as Lenny the Lawyer, and someone as the voice of the lottery. Interviews recorded with Greater Boston Residents. Charlie on the MTA is performed by Emily Peterson and Dirk Tiedi. Wonderland Rocks by Dave Fernandez. Drums by Jim Johansson. Robot Beat by Broke Yeti. 
Drive the Cold Away, performed by Adrienne Howard, Emily Peterson, and Dirk Tiedi. Some sound effects and music used from public domain and Creative Commons sources. Episode transcripts will be posted online at greaterbostonshow.com. Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. This is routine update log number six for Dr. Edison Tucker concerning my research into the town of Jerusalem, Oregon, and the existence of the supernatural, paranormal, mythological, etc., etc., blah, blah, blah. Anyway, since arriving, I've definitely encountered some stuff that could be classified under weird ass. I mean, Where else does putting lamb's blood on people's doorways actually work as pest control? And nobody in town will talk to me about the picnic area near Lincoln's farm. Although, could be because everybody thinks I'm one of those monster hunting idiots. Which I'm not, okay? I am an experienced professional who takes my work extremely seriously, and I am going to prove this if it's the last thing I ever- Although, to be honest, I think the biggest mystery on my hands is how I'm going to survive living with Lucille Kensington, stuck-up extraordinaire. So, if you guys don't hear from me again, it wasn't something in the woods that got me. Probably. Where the Stars Fell. Available now wherever podcasts are found.